Welcome into Tailgate. Austin Gale here in Mike Reiner in Indianapolis. I don't know what the hell that was. It's Austin Gale and Mike Reiner in Indianapolis. We're here at... It's been a, it was a long night, dude. The Catch and Millie Buzz is pretty loaded here. Yeah. I am, I'm excited for the Catch and Millie Buzz. Today on the show, we have John Ledyard, John Ledyard of Pewter Report, Dame Rubo of The Athletic in person for the first time, Jordan Reed uh, from ESPN. Force, dude. dude, it was a freaking monster, monster yeah. crew here. We talked pretty much every position group in the draft yeah. with all these guys. The episode is loaded. Before we get into it, I want to do a little Catch and Early Buzz segment. Can I start? Yeah. One of the more embarrassing stories from last night. So okay. we are at Prime, which is the... Go to bar in Indianapolis, really for anyone coming down here. It's a really nice bar. And the biggest reason for it, which I'm finding out now, biggest reason for this bar being so sweet is it literally does not close. close. Like, I think it's like illegal. Like, I'm I'm scared to even bring it up. I'm scared to bring it up how like illegal this bar feels. We're there till about two, three. You start to see some people leaving, right? And you're like, okay, maybe this is the time to go. Maybe it is bar closed. Lights aren't turning on though. Then I'm there till four. 4.30, 4.30, we end up walking out of Prime at 5 a.m., <laughs> and I'm sitting there like, Mike, we need to get the hell out of here. We yeah. need to get the hell out of Prime because this is a legitimate disaster. And I'm, I'm on my way out, or we're, we're, we're about ready to leave, and the waitress comes up to me, and I'm like thinking they're going to ask to sleep. She's like, do you want a beer? It's like, no, ma'am. It's 4.30 in the morning. I need a water and like a nap. But we end up leaving at like 5 a.m., and when I get back, you don't remember this. I don't. <laughs> I go to the, cons- there's no food open. Shake yeah. Shack used to be 24 hours. It's, it's toast. Steak Shake. There's no, there's Steak Shake. There's no food open. So I end up going to the JW Marriott concession thing. Oh no. So you can buy Did like concession items from yeah. the hotel, which are like movie theater price points. Mm-hmm. I end up grabbing like eight Hot Pockets, oh. four frozen burritos, like Reese's Cups, Bloody. Kit Kats, waters. And so the guy, I'm like, don't even tell me how much this is. This is going to be a disaster. Like, I know it's yeah. going to be rough. And it's me and a handful of the other PFF guys. He says 380 bucks or something like that. 300, it was $317 for like nine items. Stop. No, he says $317 with a straight face. This guy had a straight face. Yeah. $317. I was like, are you serious? He's like, yeah. And he already swiped my card because I told him don't tell me. And then he, he's, I was like, I need to get some of this back. And he's like, there's no re- return policy. I'm in. I'm, I'm down horrendous, dude. I'm already kind of drunk. I'm really tired. I just I just ordered seven really bad hot pockets. There's no microwave in the hotel room. <laughs> I'm microwaving the hot pockets like so down horrendous, like shaking, microwaving each individual hot pocket, checking if they're warm, going back. Meanwhile, this guy's just looking at me in the face, just like, yeah, it's 317 bucks. I finish cooking all the hot pockets with the boys. I'm about ready to go back up to the room, ready to like put a bullet in my head, and he's like, hey, I'm, it was actually only 100 bucks. Literally, just like it was only a hundred bucks. He was like, "Hey, don't worry about it. Only hundred bucks." Which, I mean, at a certain point, that's okay. They yeah. brought like nineteen things, but I was stressing, sweating, heating up hot pockets at six a.m. this morning. Went to sleep. Woke up at eight a.m. and we've had ourselves a now day. We're here. Now we're here. I actually woke up at like noon. It was great. But I had a story from last night. Mine's a lot more embarrassing. Um, Matt Fleur is at Prime, and oh, I'm like, I gotta talk to him. I'm gonna pack shit. I told you. I remember whatever. telling you, don't do it. And I'm hyping it up as if it's like the first time I've ever talked to a girl. No, it was, it's like in my head. Were, it was like. I've never, I'm not it like wasn't thin. the right energy for you to talk to. I know. It, it was bad. It was bad. And I go up and had the most awkward interaction that I've had in like years, in probably a decade, since probably the first time I talked to a girl. It was like, hey, I'm You came back I'm really like, disappointed. I, and I left and I was like, that could not have gone worse. And I think he hates me. I think Matt LaFleur hates me. I don't, so so here's, the, here's, the, here's the actual take. I don't think he hates you. He just has he just, no opinion of you. He doesn't even know who I am. Yeah. Doesn't know anything And like he's about praying you never sees you again. Yeah. So hopefully I redeem myself in some way, shape, or form. But I think that was worse than the Hot Pocket story. It was way worse, dude. The problem, it too, is bad. I only ate like a, a one and a half of the seven Hot Pockets I bought. Because like these are not even that good. I, I could barely use the fucking microwave down in the lobby. But Indianapolis continues to treat us well. Yeah. On to the draft coverage. Let's talk to John Ledyard. Then we have Dane Brugler and then Jordan Reed. Now joining the Tailgate Podcast is John Ledger, longtime friend of the show. I think the last time we had you on this podcast was in Indy two years yes. ago. Wow, honestly. has it been that long? I think it has been long. you guys yeah. wised up enough to have me on. Since <laughs> then, you are, have changed roles. You're now the Director of Content at Peter Port. Congratulations. Excited thank for you. that. Thank you. Are we talking hand size the entire podcast, yeah. just the first part of the podcast? Let's, let's put our hands together here real okay. quick and see yeah. who's got the biggest dogs. Whoa. Oh, AG's got Oh, what's up, big dog? I think AG's got me. <laughs> okay. How's that even possible? These are some oh, kind Ledger's of... Got, I don't know, know though. Tight. You got a it's, big thumb going on. You want to hang out later? <laughs> <laughs> What's the play? I think uh, that was actually stunned me. Actually. I, I think I we like, all, though, have bigger hands than Kenny Pickett. We can at yes. least put that... I also feel like as we continue to progress in like hand size measurements, I think there's more... This is a serious take. There's more data to be had on like palm width versus like 
what percentage of it is fingers and what percentage of it is palms. I think that has a factor. Does it matter? I think it's a factor. You want longer fingers. If we are literally going to make decisions on these guys based on half inches, why aren't we talking more about that? Well, does it? Do they measure thumb to pinky? Yeah, I know. So you're crossing the palm. Is the palm like? I don't think I have. Or should you? You're saying just have a girthy palm is the thing. The end of the finger. Is that what you're saying? No, no. I'm saying keep the same measurement, but in addition to like say this is eight and a half or whatever, I also want to know what percentage of it is palm. And what percentage uh, of his finger? I, I really think that don't matters. know. I really I, grip strength's probably if you're gonna actually do anything, how much does his grip strength is probably a better measurement of That's like how much take. he can hold on That's to a football take. than pure hand size. But so Kenny Pickett, eight and a half inch hands. I have nine inch hands, I believe, and it's like a little difficult. Like you don't feel co- comfortable holding on to a football. At least I don't. Like I don't feel like I really have control over it like you do. Right. I don't know, like something smaller. So does that like do you think that's a, an actual thing, Kenny Pickett, hand size being an issue? Yes. Small hands very cool. I think it's an issue. Yeah, yeah, no question. doesn't mean that he'll be trash. Yeah. Sometimes yes. we tend yes. to like talk about these things as in, oh, his hands are small, so he must be garbage. Mm-hmm. But no, we're talking about a guy who's going to be a first-round yeah. face of the franchise type of quarterback. If you're not taking all the data into account, you're screwing yourself over yeah. as a team. I mean, this data is available for a reason at this point in time. Yeah. Like, you need to take it into account. You need to look at the history of quarterbacks with hand sizes sub-9 inches, sub even a little bit bigger than that. Some teams have that threshold. It needs to matter to you. And you can get as many anonymous scouts quoted on Twitter as you want saying it doesn't matter to me. It's going to matter to most decision makers in the NFL. GMs, they care about that. They factor all that in. You're drafting a quarterback? You yeah. kidding me? Like, this isn't a this isn't a wild. This is a quarterback. Exactly. It's not a linebacker. Like, this is a big pick for whatever GM makes. So you're, you're drafting in Kenny Pickett, eight and a half inch hands. I think the only quarterback in the NFL that ever had that same hand size was Michael Vick. Michael Vick obviously was special for a lot of other reasons. But I think the other thing, so everyone's like, but he played at Pitt. He played at Pitt and he, he had good football. Yeah. The NFL ball is 1.25 inches right. bigger. It right. is a bigger right. football. So you're literally like not comparing apples to apples. You're mm-hmm. comparing apples to like something a little bit large, like a grapefruit. I don't know. But I think this is this is going to get overblown because people are always talking about you know hand size and how much does it matter. It does impact and it's something that he has to overcome, yeah. which he has done with the two-glove stuff. Right. Like he yeah. wears gloves to, to literally right. combat this issue. Right. And teams are going to measure that in. Some, we were having a conversation with the NFL, like, make him at the combine take the gloves off to throw the throw here. Yeah. And so it's, if they had said, told him to do that, I don't think he throws. Like he's only throwing in Indy if he lets he's allowed to use the gloves. Yeah, I agree. Where, so where does Kenny Pickett then fall for you in this quarterback class? Yeah, I've tended to think of him as a guy who's going to go lower than with consensus had him earlier on, yeah. even a month ago maybe, as the top quarterback probably going to be off the board in yeah. that conversation at least. I don't think he's going to be a top quarterback off the board. I don't think he's going to be two, one or two, to be honest with you. I, maybe the third guy, he'll be in that conversation. Yeah. I do think he could still go before the end of the first round. Maybe a team trades up and they want that extra year and the fifth-year option. Or maybe a team like the Lions picking at the end of the first round says, okay, we yeah. can take somebody too, but we're going to take him later in the draft. That could be an option. So there's fall, there's points for him to fall to and still be in the first round. won't surprise me at all if he's in the second round. I, I'd also hammer this point home too, though, in that – He's not falling just because he just measured it in eight and a half. Like people knew this was a concern and were measuring, you know, do, yeah. you know, factoring that into his sock. They knew he played with two gloves for a reason. Yeah. The, the report out before was that they were eight and a quarter inch would have been right. literally the smallest the NFL has ever seen. He comes in at eight and a half. This is already being baked into his stock. It's not like you know, he'll be billed as like this faller in a lot of content, but. The teams knew this. Teams knew this going in, and people who are propping him up as quarterback one right now, I do think that that's not ultimately what's going to happen. It's going to be Malik Willis, in my opinion, that is the first quarterback off the board. Kenny Pickett, I still think, comes off the board in the first 32, first 40 picks, but I still think this is going to be an issue, and he's wearing two gloves his entire career. Yeah, I agree. Other other measurements I wanted to get on. Trenlon Brooks comes in with small hands too. Kenny Pickett steals the show. Comes in with nine and seven inches yeah. hands. When well, everyone's that's talking not about small, it's but not like, small. But what right. people expected was, was like an eleven inch mitt from Trenlon Brooks, and right. he still has. I think he has seventy nine inch wing, which is huge right. for the wide receiver position. I think you had a tweet just before we started recording where like wingspan matters more for receivers and more for really all players than it does even height. And I think him coming in with that wingspan, even though the hands are smaller than what was previously reported, people are going to flock to that. People are going to flocked receivers who have this obviously this big catch radius. Yeah. yeah, where does he fall for you on the wide receiver class? Okay, so Burks is I'm kind of uh, of the my, most people have the wide receiver class like all tight and they don't know how to sort it out. Mm-hmm. I, for me, Burks is clearly the number one. I, I didn't have it oh, actually wow. very close. I mean, not that I think everybody else is bad or anything, but to me, he was clearly the top guy. Not that I don't have concerns with him. I do think his routes need to improve. Yeah. There may be some level of separation struggle for him mm-hmm. on the full route tree, but he's so explosive at his size. I just can't see that being a major issue for him. I think he is going to be mostly an outside receiver. Mm-hmm. The fact that he played mostly inside in college clearly dominated there. Then what? He gets, like, I think you guys have 39 reps outside or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. And he's winning almost all of them. Like, you know, he's indecisively too. So 
<laughs> Joe means I, I was actually goes. talking to Traylon Burks' agent last night. It's Traylon, not Traylon. He was mad oh. about that. It's Traylon Burks. I was talking to his agent last night. He represents a lot of the Arkansas guys. And he said, you know, we talk a lot about, like, man, like, why wasn't he playing on the outside in Arkansas? And I was like, honestly, they were so trying to get him the football. And, like, Felipe Franks is actually down the field running the vertical route tree. You weren't getting your best player the ball because he couldn't hit the broad side of the barn, right? Like, so many times he was saying, or people come away from a big catch from Traylon Burks and it's a spectacular catch. He's like, yeah, because it was a bad throw. Right. This guy's adjusting to a lot of those, like, bad throws from Felipe Franks. I'm not trying to dog Felipe Franks, but trying to rationalize, like, why he was playing in the slot, right. like, why he was getting a lot of scheme production, a lot of screens. And it's because how are you going to get your best player the ball the fastest? It's doing that kind of role that he had at Arkansas. So who, the thing with Traylon Burks that I keep going back to or try, trying to think of is a comp for him in the NFL. Like stylistically, who do you think he most will be like once he gets to the league? Because that's been yeah. difficult for me to kind of like think of. Right, because people say DK Metcalf, but yeah. I think I, DK Metcalf was even more explosive. Yeah, like, yeah. He's just, not that level of right. explosive. I, I don't opinion. think he's I don't that. know if we'll see another DK Metcalf. Right. It's, <laughs> he was a rare freak. Now, Burks is, isn't bad. I mean, the A.J. Brown comparison in some ways does make sense. Guys who played a lot Slide. inside, but clearly had the skill set to go outside. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that comparison makes sense. Comparisons are rarely one-to-one. Yeah. I don't see the Debo Samuel thing yeah. as much as other people do not necessarily. Like, I think a name pops up and has a big season. We all of a sudden want to compare every yeah. thick wideout to the same guy. <laughs> and like, look at the way Debo Samuel's used. The guy's got the most unique contact balance in the NFL. Yeah. Acting like Traylon Burks is that guy is, is not a thing in my opinion. But there's some degree to which Traylon Burks, I think, can be even better in mm-hmm. the NFL than he was in college. And he mentioned blocking yesterday is something he prides himself in. I don't particularly think he's a great blocker on tape. I and mean, a lot of that's just desire and technique, and that can get better and will get better in the NFL, I think. So that's important. Who is wide receiver two then for you after Trey Lambert? Right now, it's Jameson Williams. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right now, it's Jameson Williams. Um, I don't think he's a complete receiver yet. I don't really factor in the injury to my evaluation because I'm not a doctor. I don't. He could be ready week one. Yeah, uh, I, I have no clue. So I just say, right, I'm just like, <laughs> okay, I think Jameson Williams has this trump card and his speed that can just give you, like, something to hang your hat on, yeah. even if the rest of his game isn't fully developed. Plus, he's pretty good after the catch, too. And so, like, there's something there to be real excited about with him. But he has to fit into the team the right way. Like, same for a guy like Garrett Wilson, who yeah. I like as well. Like, where do they fit into the team? How do they fit into the team? Williams mm-hmm. might not fit into as many situations that make sense, but there's some situations like New Orleans, for example, like where if Michael Thomas is back and he's doing what he does in the short to intermediate and dominating in the slot, having a guy like Jameson Williams on the outside would bring back, like, the great days of like Ted Ginn playing in that offense. You know what I mean? Like, no, for sure. It could be things like that, that the fit is like perfect with him more so than a Garrett Wilson. Jameson Williams came in, widget six foot one, 179. Some people saying, oh my gosh, super light for a receiver, but obviously tears his ACL. He yeah. plays the game yes. more at 190, 195. Don't overreact to that way. However, we haven't talked a lot about the Ohio State guys. They also weighed in today. Uh, Garrett Wilson, five foot 11, six eight. So maybe they call him six foot, six foot 183, but with 32 inch arms, which I think is huge, 76 and a half inch wing for Garrett Wilson today. I think. Don't, I'm not overly concerned with either of the weights from the Ohio State guys. Garrett Wilson, six foot, 183. Chris Olave, six foot, 187. Because they are clearing the 31-inch mark at arm and over 72 on wing as well. Yeah, to go back to the Jameson Williams weight thing, when a guy tears an ACL, you lose a lot of muscle in your legs. Yeah. Like, quickly, and it comes back. Like, once, once you start to use your legs again, but, like, because you can't physically work out. So, not a worry about, in my opinion, him coming on 179. But we were talking before the show here that – you said this is not a good class. You said, like, comparatively, this is a weak year just in terms of talent. Are there any positions, though, where you're like, okay, there actually could be value there because those are strong positions in this class? Yeah, I think that, you know, the, I was kind of joking around about mm-hmm. that, but, like, there is some reality. Like, the quarterback class is clearly yeah. down. Like, there's some areas of the class that leave a lot to be desired in terms of especially high-end talent. Yeah, I think the I depth agree. is fine, but last year, look at last year's class. Yeah, I mean, it's the top 15 or yeah. whatever were just unbelievable. Michael Parsons fell like 10. Yeah, yeah, like that's not going to happen right. in this year's class. Yeah, yeah. and you have like Elijah Vera Tucker down the board. You have, you know, uh, uh, Rashawn Slater. Like, 13. Yeah, like, like that guy's <laughs> going I mean, like, It's a rare top of the class. This year, I only see a couple players maybe even in that same vein. And I think that that brings the whole class down as a whole. But depth-wise, still a lot of good. Like, you can get a lot of number two, good number two receivers in this class. Yeah. The problem is teams will draft them as ones, put mm-hmm. them in situations as ones, and then we don't really find out. You know, it's not really totally fair. So I mm-hmm. like the receiver class. I really like the edge defender class. I actually think there's a lot of quality starters in the mm-hmm. edge defender class. Mm-hmm. Defensive tackle wasn't as bad as I thought it was. It's not splashy. Yeah. But it's not as bad as I thought it was when it started. And some of the weigh-ins will matter, like what Logan Hall weighs will really matter, what yeah. Cam Thomas weighs, because the tweener types have not done well in recently in the NFL. Yeah. Yeah. So they need to be able to weigh and test for a certain position and fit a mold a little bit. But I like that group. Um, and I think that 
The linebacker group has a lot of potential as well. The corners is, and again, more mid-round type of group, I think, more day two type of group. But in the day two area, there's some yeah. good depth. It's really just you know, a lot of it in my mind I don't see after the first couple tackles. I don't see the rest of those guys. There's, it's just a it's a crapshoot. You know, you take one of those developmental guys. That can I, go ahead I love what you said about the wide receiver class because I feel very similarly. There's a lot of, like, high-end wide receiver twos. Right? You can see, like, a high-floor yeah. wide receiver two from the two Ohio State guys. Even, like, Drake London, who you know, is you know, a lot of people feel is the wide receiver one in this yeah. class and could be an alpha at the next level. I know you compared him to Brandon Marshall. I still feel his floor is, like, this power slot that's a number two option in an offense and still has a lot of success. I want to talk more about edge, though. Aiden Hutchinson, obviously, at the top of a lot of people's draft boards. Kayvon Thibodeau, this number two edge, but sliding for whatever reason that be talk about those two players and compare them as prospects oh man I this was way tougher than I thought it was going to be um Hutchinson at the beginning of the year I thought didn't look that great to me in terms of projecting now you look good but not like this is the number one overall pick good to me then toward the end of the year if you notice like watching this tape real detail like he had a false step he would pick up his front foot and put it right back down where it was and that wasted some of his get off and he's never going to be like as bendy as a Thibodeau, for example. So he needs the, all of the explosiveness because if he's going to win on the outside as a pass rusher, which is the primary path you need to win on as a pass rusher to have success in the NFL, if you're going to win outside the tackle tip, you have to be explosive for a guy like him especially. Yeah. You can't afford to waste any time getting off the ball. So later in the year, then when he eliminates, if you watch the Ohio State game, he eliminates the false step for the most part, mm-hmm. most of his snaps. And the result is just complete terror like nobody could block them it didn't matter who they put out there they moved guys around it didn't matter like they nobody could block them and as soon as they start oversetting because they realized they couldn't match his explosiveness he's crossed their face the rest yeah. of the game iowa game same thing destroyed people yeah. you know i still need to watch the georgia tape i know there were some concerns but then i think there was also i read some things that you know maybe that concern wasn't as concerning a, a tape, lot of quick so. game they're getting the ball out yeah, quick. yeah like it's scheming around him right. for sure he has that ability to win outside when he cuts out that false step i don't think he's super bendy but he's good enough with his hands and explosive enough off the ball his first step i've seen some people say i don't think his first step is good I think you need to watch it really closely because at the end of the year, if you're pausing, looking who gets off the ball first, he's out of his stance all yeah. the time. Oh, yeah. Because he is gobble. explosive, right? Yeah. Everyone talks about him as this athlete. He is this athlete. Yes. Maybe you know, this fall step. Well. Yeah, he's yeah. going to test well here. Now, in Thibodeau yeah. is unbelievable as a mover. Like, yeah. unbelievable mover. I mean, like Miles Garrett-level mover, but he doesn't have the size or the power yet mm-hmm. that Garrett has to be able to get under guys, move them, and do those kinds of things. Garrett didn't really have it all figured out coming out, but, like, he kind huge. of fell into yeah. some power reps anyway. Yeah. Thibodeau just dies when he bull rushes right now. But he's so explosive. If he can even just stab and cross faces and dance a little bit, I just I, it would be stunning to me if he doesn't work out as a player. And I don't see any effort concerns on his tape at all. I've watched several games now. I have no idea where that's coming from. As a run defender, he can get stronger. He can do some things like that. But his... We talk about Hutchinson needing to cut out the false step. Thibodeau has a little bit of a false step, and it doesn't even matter. Yeah. First guy off the ball, unreal explosiveness. He's ready to go from that. That's the thing. I, I'm the draft guy. I'm doing. Comp, I got to put a comp for every guy, and I'm just like, dude, it's like he moves like Miles Garrett. Yeah, I don't yeah, want to yeah. put Miles Garrett because right. that's fucking. Yeah. You know, right. yeah. That's a high. Yeah. high praise for a guy but like not a lot of guys have that level of movement skills at 260 pounds it's yeah. just like a rare breed so so those two are pretty clearly one two for everyone yeah. whatever order is not is like not really here nor there but edge three is up for debate like yeah. edge three in this class has been all over the map you'll get a bunch of different names depending on who you talk to who for you is your edge three at the moment yeah this one's tricky for me and i don't know that i even have it fully settled so whatever i tell you here you can't hold me too long <laughs> i'm only i mean it'll change it at the combine anyway <laughs> yeah it's gonna it's change so you know yeah. me i value this the yeah. traits of the combine a lot i do have carl Loftus in that kind of range right now it's he and ajabo are so different to me and i've watched both of them pretty closely and i have some other guys to watch too but like, Ajabo to me is, I think people say have described him as, like, this guy who could be a total freak. And maybe he is at the Combine. That's certainly possible. But to me, like, the one thing with Ajabo, like, when he is able to get off the ball first, he's very hard to block. Mm-hmm. But he's not very bendy, so, like, he has to get off the ball first because he can't really corner that much. And his hands are better than advertised. He was kind of at build to me as a very, very raw player. And in some ways that might be true, but he is very physical. And sometimes raw players are more finesse. They're just relying yeah. on athleticism. I think Ajabo is very physical. There's some things he needs to figure out about how to use that physicality a little mm-hmm. bit better. But I find him to be a very physical player. He gets into guys' pads. He will try and you know he'll try and snatch that outside arm and pull it toward him and get underneath and flip his hip. So I think he does have upside. Maybe not like this elite bendy player, but mm-hmm. there is a kind of um, it's not, I've seen some people say Chandler Jones. I vibe with that. He's somewhere on the Yannick Ngakwe to Chandler Jones scale to where he's more of a 
I described Yannick Ngakwe often as like a tilter. He's like tilts the edge. He doesn't really like bend it. He kind of like runs yeah. on the side of his feet kind Fair. of to finish. And that's kind of a Jabo. So there's still a high ceiling for him, I think. But he's got to get better as a three down player for sure. And that's a big part. Yeah, people comp him to Jason Owe for like a lot of reasons. They're both like somewhat new to the game. I think he went to the same high school, right? Either yeah, yeah, o- Him and Owe. And to me, Owe was far more finesse, far yeah. like he's far further along in my yes. opinion than Owe was coming Agreed. out. Not that kind yes. of project, even though Owe was like right. freak of nature. But yeah. I don't talk about his hands at all. Right? I would talk a little bit about Karloftis because he's kind of, the evaluation of him has really been all over the yeah. map. And I, I think this week's big for him in terms of his testing yeah. because like, he was a Bruce Feldman's freaks list guy. And like sometimes you see it, but sometimes I, I feel like he played so many snaps that he was a little hot and cold in terms of like his get off the ball. What are your thoughts on him and like his best fit in terms of what he plays the next level? Very tricky prospect to figure out. Yeah. I'm not quite what I was expecting. You know, I've gone through a couple of these guys, right? Listed at 275 pounds. Okay, you're thinking Zach Allen, you're thinking like AJ Epinesa, two yeah. players I was way lower on the consensus. They were getting mocked in the first round. I put them with third round grades, late third round yeah. grades, early fourth round grades, like as they went through the process. I was not big fans of either of those guys. We'll see how it goes for Epinesa. But like mm. a lot of those bigger edge types in college have not really worked out in the NFL. And so it was a big concern to me going in, just knowing the profile. Watched them and I was like, man, like there's a couple games in there. Like oh, I think Oregon State was one of them. I forget the other one. I mean, he really wasn't blocked, like, at all. Like, yeah. whether it was power, the, the Iowa yeah. was the other one. I mean, the Iowa tackles needed some help, for <laughs> yeah, sure. Like, those guys, those boys were struggling this year. But he was getting under those guys' pads, throwing them around. Like, I was like, all right, all right. Like, then the Ohio State game, which Hutchinson destroyed Ohio State. Mm-hmm. So it was a good game to be able to watch and compare. There's some prospects out there for Ohio State on their O-line. I don't know how good they are, but there's some prospects yeah, yeah. out there. I thought he really struggled in that game. And they left him unblocked a lot and optioned him off in the run game, and he couldn't move laterally. Mm-hmm. It's a big concern for the NFL if anybody's going to have him play in space. Now, can he be like a Sam Hubbard type that plays like outside and inside and does some versatile stuff for you mm-hmm. that way and serves as like the Wins in a straight line, too, yeah. Wins in a straight line. Yeah, like there's ways you can use him. The other thing about Carl Loftus, if you look at his stance, he stands like open and staggered to the line of scrimmage and very open with his stance. It gives him a natural angle to the pocket. So I don't think his tape, even when he corners, is a great – measurement of his actual bend and flexibility Mm -hmm. i think it's just his stance pre-snap is very like open to the pocket so he can kind of create a natural angle for himself to the quarterback what happens though is it exposes him in the run game the nfl probably won't let him do it because he's going to be open like that and they're going to kick him out leave him unblocked and have a hard time getting down and closing that space when he's unblocked so there's ways around it. Ohio State figured that out. He got really wrecked in that game as a result. I think that could be a concern for the NFL. I think the bend drills, you know, the, the short shuttle, the three cone will not show up for him. I think he's going to yeah. show up in the explosives. He's going to have the broad, the bird, the 40. But when he does do the three cone, the comp I had for him was Justin Tuck, a guy that can, like, legitimately, like, mm. fire up the field, mm. win as an explosive player. But the bend wasn't there. The guy's not turning the corner anymore. I like that. That's, yeah, that's John, this has been fantastic. Yeah. You're the man. Really appreciate you jumping on the show. Plug up, plug Peter Report, the director of content here. we got to hear what he got. <laughs> we do have lots of great draft content coming out and we have a lot of it on our show as well Peter Report Podcast four days a week we go live it's an awesome time uh, we talk a lot about the prospects for sure we do talk a lot about it as it relates to the Bucks. I don't know if you guys have heard but Tom Brady retired or did he or did he yeah. or did he I don't know <laughs> I don't know but anyway so that's a big topic of conversation I don't think the Bucks will draft a quarterback but we're talk- we talk a lot of draft prospects over there on the show and at PeterReport.com in terms of content too and of course on Twitter at Ledger NFL Draft I'm always talking about the draft oh yeah man thanks dude appreciate yeah, it absolutely thanks guys now joining the show, Tailgate here, Dave Brugler, Senior Draft Analyst at The Athletic. I think we've had you on the show, obviously, before, but we've never had you in person. Yeah, this is great. Great to have you on the show, man. Great That's to awesome. have you in Indy. How's Indy been so far? It's been great. Uh, I mean, after last year, it's just great to be here, Yeah, you know? Uh, and there's, we talk about it all the time, how, you know, the, all the data and stuff is great, but you seem to learn more at night, you know? Oh, for and, sure. Uh, between sessions and things so uh, it's good to have that inter- human interaction again mm-hmm. I mean so much of this class you pick up on people are like oh man this is such a big mover after the combine it's talking to teams here it's talking to agents here you find a lot about some of the intricacies of the class or answer a lot of questions about the class why did Traylon Burks play so many of his reps in the slot this past year you're talking to different people mm-hmm. and like why he's being positioned that way it does help you answer a lot of those details we just had John Lendyard on from the Pew Report we talked a lot about the edge class talked a little bit about Kenny Pickett let's go beyond Kenny Pickett obviously had eight and a half inch hands today that's the talk of the town but the other quarterbacks in this class who right now is your quarterback one is it Pickett? and then you know just speak to you know how everyone's viewing this at this quarterback class right is it's not that good there's not a lot of first round talent when are you taking that first quarterback off the board in this class Pickett is my top quarterback um I, you know I think we have the best feel for what he's going to be as a pro um in my opinion if you're going to draft a quarterback in the first round that means that you are convinced that he will be a top 15 quarterback 
top 12 to 15 quarterback in the NFL at some point during his rookie deal, mm-hmm. you know, even if that's not till year three or four, whatever. But I just find it very hard to have any conviction on any of these guys that they will reach top 12, top 15 status in the NFL uh, at some point in the rookie contract. Yeah. Just, I, I find it very hard to have conviction in that. Now, will there be teams that, especially once coaches get involved, the interviews uh, happen here, and then you know, 30 visits and everything throughout the process. Once you know, that, that happens, I'm sure teams will uh, start to like these guys more and more, especially when they strike out on, you know, Russell Wilson doesn't go anywhere mm-hmm. and the, all the free agent quarterbacks and all that. Some of these quarterbacks will start to look a little look a little better, and I think we have to look at each team and how they're set up differently. For one team, if you you know Kenny Pickett gives you the chance to win eight, nine, ten games a year, for one team that sounds great. For another team, that's just not going to do it. That's yeah. not enough. So uh, at least for their appetite in the first round. So I, in my opinion, Pickett's a top guy. I, I'm, I'm Malik Willis. I think it's absolutely fair to say he has the the highest upside of this group with his with his traits. Um, I just I don't think. We talk enough about the jump he has to make from what he was asked to do at Liberty to what he was asked to do, what he will be asked to do in the NFL. So if you're drafting him top 10, top 12, you want him to see the field early. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's uh, it's a big jump for him. And it's not that he can't do it. It's just we haven't seen him do it. So it's yeah. a pure projection. And uh, it's uh, you have to be pretty convinced with, with his skill set if you're going to take him that early. So you're going to hear risers and fallers throughout the week. How right. much stock do you put into the combine, actually, and the testing you're going to see here? And what positions do you think it's most important for? I think, you know, over the years, I think my answer to that's really, it's evolved. And you know, every year yeah. I think there's something new. Like, um, like I'm really interested in, like, Traylon Burks, uh, his 40. Not necessarily the start, but the flying 20. You know, mm-hmm. the 20 to 40, that finish. I want to see because that you know it's a lot. Of, everyone starts the same way, and especially guys that don't have a track background. So, uh, for me, like a guy like Traylon Burks, like that's really important. That twenty to forty, I think that's where he could really shine. Um, I I just want to I just want it to be a, a confirmation factor for me. You yeah. know, if it's something that is different than what I saw on tape, then it's it's back to the tape to try and figure out why. Maybe the four games I watched, he was battling a hamstring, and you know, just things like that. So, uh, I think the the combine for me, on, the on-field drills and the agility drills, it's a cross-checking exercise. Um, it's uh, I, I kind of I will compare it to like the SATs. You know, we always had to take the SATs in high school because not every curriculum, high school, you know, is the same in terms of what they taught. Mm-hmm. SAT was a way to kind of get everybody on the level playing field. That's mm-hmm. kind of what this is. It gets everyone on a level playing field, um, and it just it's it's valuable data to have as as context for every player. It's very similar to the senior bowl, right? They talk a lot about apples yep. to apples comparisons at the senior bowl. You're getting people on this level playing field. You talked about the quarterback. It was interesting, interesting how you put it into perspective how I look for a quarterback. I'm drafting him in the first round, a guy that I think could be this top 15, top 12 player at his position on his rookie deal. A name that comes to me if there is Ritter. Right? I do feel mm-hmm. that with Ritter, there is this chance that he can be, even in year two, year three, a top 15, top 12 quarterback in the NFL. Your view on Ritter as a prospect? I, I do like him. Um, I, I think that when you talk about a player with that experience, um, 43 and 6 or something like that you know, mm-hmm. in his career, uh, obviously, coming you know from Cincinnati and AAC, and um, you know maybe not playing top tier talent week in week out, but uh, you can throw on his tape and you see concepts that will translate. Yeah. And what he's asked to do, and some of the throws that he's making now, is he a little too scattershot than what you would normally target as a first round pick? Yeah, he is. Uh, and you wish he were a little bit bigger. I don't know how much bigger he's going to get. Uh, I know he wasn't too happy they measured him when they did at the senior bowl he didn't have a chance to eat breakfast or anything so he was oh, no. he was 207 and not you know 209 or whatever yeah. after he had uh, some breakfast and you know sausage and eggs or something but uh you know it's six gallons of milk man. yeah right exactly <laughs> he's he's just not the biggest guy and that's something that i don't think's ever going to change it's just his body type and that's something that you know it's didn't wasn't really a factor in uh in uh, in college, but he's going to work out well here. His numbers will be you can compare him to wide receiver numbers. Mm-hmm. I think with what he's how he's going to test here, but you don't necessarily. It's not necessarily his game either. So yeah. I don't I don't know that we'll get or we should get too excited when he puts up these numbers here at the combine. Right, so you're very connected in terms of like getting background information on these guys. Mm-hmm. You know a lot of the stuff. Call your shot on some guys here who are going to blow it up. Obviously, like Kyle Hamilton's going to blow it up. Not the top guys, but like some yeah. people that aren't getting talked about who are going to come here and put on a show. Baylor brought a, a track team here, uh, I, and I think that goes back to Coach Rule and what he w- recruited there. Um, you know, with uh, JT Woods at safety, I mean, he's going to fly. Uh, you know, 
Um, the Thornton, the wide receiver, uh, I don't, I'm more worried about his knees and how those are going to check out medically. But his 40 should be outstanding. Um, uh, the Barnes, the corner, he, he, he's, he's the got to be the favorite for the fastest 40 this week. I mean, he ran a 10.04 in 100 meters That's in sick. high school, which yeah. wow. I mean, it was a little wind-dated. That's why it wasn't like a national record, but I don't care, wind or not. If you're running a 10.04, <laughs> yeah, that's Olympic a, trials. Yeah. Yeah. Hurricane and I'd be <laughs> yeah. blowing up the thing. <laughs> yeah. Right, exactly. Put a jet pack on me and I'm not doing that. Yeah. So, um, yeah, the Baylor Bride track team here, that's going to do really well. I, I want interested in the, the Washington corners. Uh, those Both those guys are going to test really well. Uh, Kyler Gordon's a guy that's really grown on me. Because, I mean, listen, you guys know, it's corner is a stopwatch position. And, mm. you know, I, I think when you look at Kyler Gordon, um, cover awareness, technique, not necessarily strengths to his game. But when you can move like he can and, you know, he's going to blow it up with the short area stuff, the long uh, long speed, the, the jumps, everything, the way he can move, um, that, that absolves a lot of sins uh, at, at corner. So, uh, and then Trent McDuffie. Um, and I did a piece today on The Athletic uh, after talking to Trent and, I, he is one of, if not the smartest defensive back I've talked to as a prospect. Mm-hmm. Um, just throwing different situations at him and uh, how you know he understands based on the formation. You know, okay, I'm changing the cover six or I'm going press bail where the other side's going to go quarters. And just he, every situation, he understands what to look for. He's got a process, uh, very process oriented, and how he attacks the corner position. Plus, even though he's not the biggest guy, he'll run four three, low four fours here, jump forty two. So both these Washington corners, uh, at the end of the day, after after this week, uh, I mean Trent's already there. He should be a top ten pick. Uh, but Gordon, I, I think we'll be looking at him as more of a first round lock after this week. Wow. So let's talk about the cornerback class. And you are a high on Trent McDuffie. Cornerback yeah, one for you. Is, uh, yeah. I, I love Trent McDuffie's top ten player on PFF draft board. Break down those top three guys. Though it's seemingly Gardner, Stingley, McDuffie. A lot of people have Gardner, CB one. Yeah. I have Stingley, CB1, you have McDuffie. Break down the strengths and weaknesses of those guys and, like, where you think they are in this class. Yeah, there were, with, uh, with Sauce, you know, I, obviously his resume is just outstanding, yeah. uh, not giving up a touchdown. And uh, there are a few times where down the field I think he gets a little out of control uh, where it leads to penalties or you know, the Navy tape is coming to mind where um, just he was a little bit out of control down the field. And so that bothers me a little bit. I mean, he's still a top 15 player in this draft. That, that there's no question about that. Uh, he should run well. Um, and I was talking to someone that he's – or the, the guy that's training him um, right now, and he said that the cornerback room – uh, was uh, not very lively, whatever, and then uh, Sauce showed up a few weeks late because Cincinnati went deep into the uh, playing the college football playoff. As soon as Sauce showed up, the room just exploded. Like, he brings the yeah. energy wow. everywhere he goes. And so um, that was interesting to hear and not, not really a surprise, you know, when, when you know about Gardner. So um, I like him a lot. Stingley is such an enigma, you know. Mm-hmm. With, if, if you flip those 2019 and 2021 seasons, uh, we're talking about him as a – you know, he's picking out uh, a, 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 in a house in uh, Jacksonville, going yeah. number one. You know, yeah. it's, uh, it's so much ability and it's just what's going on with him uh, medically. Um, biggest thing from talking to scouts about Stingley is they like they don't make no bones about it. He's just he's not an alpha. And that's OK. You don't have to be. Um, would you like your corner one to be an alpha? Sure. But I don't think it's necessarily a requirement. More importantly, do you have the competitive toughness required uh, to do it? And so that'll be the big question for Stingley this week: is just proving yourself in these interviews um, by you know selling yourself and, and you know why you should be still one of the top corners in this draft. And then mention McDuffie. I, I just maybe you know just recently talking to him, factoring in a little too much, but I was just <laughs> so impressed with him as a, as a person. Um, I, I wish I was that mature at what 20, 21 years old. So uh, he's he's a smart, smart guy. We had I wish had I was that mature this. at thirty one years old. <laughs> Come on, we had him on this podcast, and I came away with something very similar. Right, this guy yeah. one of the smart. I compared him mentally and from a maturation standpoint to Byron Murphy, who's another Washington quarterback. Yeah. When he was when he was talking to people pre draft, it's like, oh my gosh, this guy gets it. And I think how you said it, process oriented cornerback. That's exactly what McDuffie do. And then when you factor in, he's also this a freaky athlete. It's all going right. to the sum of the parts ends up being a top ten type of player. I want to talk also about the offensive tackle class. You were the first guy to put Icky Aquano, the NC State offensive tackle, number one overall to the Jacksonville Jaguars. Shook, shook some people up. Right? Yeah, Everyone's man. been locking into Aiden Hutchinson, Kevin Thibodeau, um, or Evan Neal, and then you kind of shake this up. And now 
draft odds, I mean, betting odds have moved, you're yeah. moving markets and all that. And <laughs> you're seeing Mel Kuyper now of ESPN put Aki Aquano right. number one, and he's another player that we've had on this show. Super great demeanor about him, super smart player, guy that I think will be coveted in this interview process. He's also going to test really well in here, here in Indy. Talk about him specifically and then also compare him to the other top dogs in this class. Yeah, and I, I think obviously Jacksonville, I'm not sure they know who they want, so obviously we don't know. Cool. <laughs> um, but Icky belongs in the conversation. There's, I mean, he is one of the best players in this draft, and in my opinion, I mean, I've got it, Hutchinson, Iquanu. Those are my one, two players in this draft. Um, and with, with Icky, I think he's you know, he's the best run blocker uh, in this class. And then his the steps he made, uh, the improvements he made this year in pass protection, does he still overset quite a bit? Yeah, he does. He's an, a habitual oversetter. Um, but I think he made the key improvements this year that you wanted to see that tells you he's getting better and better and better at this. Um, and he's So if you want to go the conservative route, you're taking Evan Neal. I mean, yeah. I think that's that's fair to say. If you're going to go with maybe a guy that has a higher ceiling, I think Icky's, Icky's your guy. Uh, and, you know, the makeup of every team, every offensive line is different. So Jacksonville is interesting when you look at, uh, you know, with Coach Peterson there. He's going to want to get better on that offensive line. He's going to want to, uh, you know, uh, establish his offense and get better on that offensive line. And I think uh, if it's not Evan Neal or Quandu at one, I'll be pretty surprised. Where do these tackles fall in terms of like historically? So two years ago it was like elite tackle class: Andrew Thomas, Tristan Wirfs, Jedrick Wills, those guys. Where would like Iki Quanu be on a board compared to those guys for you? That's a great question. Because um, I'm used to people asking about last year, uh, and I, I had yeah. Sewell and Slater above anybody in this class. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, you factor in that class, and I, I, I think he would probably be, because in that class I went, for me it was Jedrick Wills, um, Werfs was two, and then Becton, and then Thomas. That, that was my top four that year. I think that Iquanu and Neil would probably be four and five, pushing okay, Thomas, Thomas to six. That, that's probably what mine would gotcha. have been at that point. I mean, we're talking really good tackle prospects, yeah. um, you know, and. It, it's even tougher if you include the two guys last year with Sewell and Slater. This is exactly what the NFL needs, is yeah. these tackles. Uh, so it's uh, a couple teams at the top of the draft. Uh, what, probably Jaguars at one, Jets at four maybe? You know, I think that's yeah. maybe you know where we sit right now with what we know. I think that may be a safe projection of where we could see those two guys going. Something I've seen recently is more conversation around Trevor Penning, the Northern Iowa offensive tackle, mm-hmm. being ahead of Charles Cross in people's rankings, yep. where I think two, three weeks ago we were talking about the big three. Evan Neal, Icky yeah. Kwanu, and Charles Cross as these top 10, top 12 type of players. What do you think the reasoning is for maybe some perception of a fall for Charles Cross? And then talk specifically about Penning and Cross together. Yeah, with, with Cross, I think he's just a, he's a very young player. Um, redshirt sophomore who has, has played a lot of football, but um, you know, just, just talking to him, he's just a young guy. And so um, I, I think that there is a little bit of a gap there that he has to make up. Um, and coming from that air raid offense, you know, Leach's scheme, um, talking with teams that, you know, the, the name Andre Dillard's come up. Oh, know, yeah. And whether that's warranted or not, it's at least out there because of the scheme that they came from. And I think Dillard has more, you know, does he love football type of questions with him. I think that's why he's hasn't had lived up to being a first-round pick. But, um, you know, there is a little bit of a transition there going from that air race scheme to what he's going to be asked to do in the NFL. So, Cross, I, I was so impressed with his movements, movement patterns, uh, hand exchange. Do I wish he was a little more powerful? Yeah. But I think when you have the movements that he does and the ability to use his hands, that's a great starting point. Those are foundational traits that you're willing to bet around. Um, and so, you know, I... I'd be surprised if Cross made it all the way to you know twenties. That, that'd be a surprising. Could Penning go ahead of him? I think that's possible. I, we saw you know up close and personal at the at the Senior Bowl how how talented he is for a guy that's six seven three thirty. Um, you know, there's not guys just walking through the door that have that athleticism, have that competitive toughness, and just you know the I know maybe some of the defensive guys are getting a little annoyed by it, but. He legitimately, you know, goes by the no mercy rule when he's on the football field. It doesn't matter if it's practice or what. That's how he plays. That's how he. That's how he's wired. Um, it's not. It's not like a forced thing. That's just how he is. So, Penning. Uh, there will be some that want to bet on those traits. That uh, you know, this, this three thirty, the power, the the competitive toughness. If they want, it, it comes down to what you prefer in an offensive lineman, yeah. that or, or, or cross. So I think uh, I wouldn't be surprised if either one went ahead of the other. When you're when you're betting when you're betting on offensive tackles, right? And you bring up Diller and maybe he doesn't love football and all that stuff, and yeah. like how much they love football and that mean streak on the field like matters so much, right? And I think I harp on it all the time with Mike and like talking to a lot of these guys, and it's like that is a legit difference maker for these decision makers, right? It's about yeah. how much how you're approaching the game, what you're trying to do, like what your efforts are. And all I don't, I don't think fans realize how like. Scouts, I, I was just reminded of this, but Scout told me how 
they eliminate more names via interviews than they do anything that happens I mean, on the field. You hear about a lot of what you said, right? Derek Stingley, one, two, three, four, he's not an alpha. That's a reason people are dropping him down. Yeah. You hear you talk about Charles Cross, he's a younger player, needs to step there. Like that, that matters so much in this process too. And I think when you do see a lot of the draft coverage coming out of the combine, people think it's all stemming from the testing, the measurables, the arm length, all that stuff. A lot of this is how many shots did you make with Nick Sirianni and how did you react, right? <laughs> a lot of this is yeah. that right layer up. of what human being you are. And like, it always comes back to me, you are making in this draft with every pick, even the ones in the later rounds, like multi-million dollar decisions. Yeah. If you are not factoring in what this guy does on a mini hoop, you're missing out. Right? <laughs> like this is the piece of it that you need to factor in. That's right. why we make fun of like how much we care about the hand size, how much we care about his 10-yard split versus flying 20, his reaction to rock, paper, scissors. When you're making decisions like this and you have one shot, I mean, this is such a big part of it. All right. Finish up with this. Everyone has their quote-unquote guys that they are sticking their neck out higher on than most. For me in this class, it's like Bernard Ryan in the Central Michigan tackle, yep. Sky Moore, Western Michigan, Leo Chanel, the Wisconsin linebacker. I'm pretty high on those guys. Who are those guys for you this year that you're like, people aren't high, high, high enough on these guys? Uh, I mean, I'm with you on Sky Moore. I mean, I think yeah. he's a, a top 10 receiver in this class. Yeah. Um, I, he's... For a guy that was a corner and quarterback in high school, uh, to see his development, um, and I, I was told yeah. he's he's testing about low four fours in the Ooh. forty. So don't be surprised if uh, yeah that starts to pick up after after this combine. Um, I, I'd throw in um, uh, who uh, Logan Hall. I, I really yeah. like. I, I think you know because he's he's still young. He's twenty one years old. I, oh, really? I think you know he he's a guy that should have redshirted. You know yeah. like he didn't play a ton in high school. He should have redshirted, but they needed him on the field. Um, I, I like him better as an end, where just give him a little bit of a runway, let him use that length, let him use that quickness. So I think Logan Hall is one of those guys that I'm a little higher on. If he's, if I'm picking in like, you know, I pick 40 and he's still on the board for me, I feel like I'm getting a huge steal. Speaking of a guy that has a presence about him too, talking to Logan Hall, I mean, that guy commands a room. And he wa he understands, like, he's as hyper-aware, I feel, of the criticisms people give him. Mm -hmm. And I think that, when you do have that level of awareness on, like, where you need to improve, again, it's just how you're approaching that. I think Logan Hall is another one of those guys where you highlight X, Y, and Z, where we need to get better, he's going to do it, whether that's adding weight, right. dropping weight, all that stuff. This has been fantastic, Dane. It's great to meet you in person. It's great yeah. to have you on the Thank show you in guys. person. We'll have to get you back on again. Before we let you go, you know, plug where everyone can find you and what you're writing for The Athletic. Yeah, just make sure you have your athletic subscription. Uh, draft guide will come out here in about a month. And Let's go. As long as you have your subscription, uh, you get the guide included. So uh, I promise you there's uh, – uh, you won't. You won't You're doing get it. Eight hundred prospects this year, right? Uh, yeah, just under a thousand. So uh, <laughs> I, I've never had someone say, you know, there wasn't enough detail in that thing. So uh, <laughs> yeah, check it out. Yeah, cool man. Well, we appreciate it. Thanks again. Thanks, guys. Now joining Tailgate ESPN's Jordan Reed. We haven't had you on since you, since you got to the big dogs here. It's great. To, it's great that you're blessing us with your presence here, Jordan. How you been? Yeah, I'm excited, man. Excited to be at ESPN. It's been a bit of an adjustment for me, but. I work with great people, so everything's been great. We've talked a lot about with Dane Brugger. We had him on earlier. We had John Ledger down. We're talking quarterbacks, receivers. He's talked a lot about the edge and the corner. Where I want to start, honestly, is this linebacker group here. Obviously, you have Jacoby Dean of Georgia, Devin Lloyd of Utah, are two guys that are high on everyone's board. People feel are top 15, top 20 type of players. But there's even some depth to this class, too. Before we get to the depth, you know, compare those two players. Compare Dean to Lloyd and what people are going to really see here in Indy between those two. Well, the first thing is there's vastly different body types. Mm -hmm. yeah. Kobe Dean at 5'11", about 230 pounds, and Devin Lloyd at about 6'3", 240 pounds nearly. So different types of body types. And I think their games are a little bit different too. I think Kobe Dean is more of your run around and just chase the ball. He's just a ball chaser. It's like he has a GPS and wherever <laughs> the ball is going, he's really good. He makes plays behind the line of scrimmage too, which I think is an underrated factor about him. But whenever those smaller linebackers, the things you always worry about is just when blockers are able to get inside of their frames, can they just get around that and avoid and negate some of those things? But with Devin Lloyd, he played a little bit of defensive end. He's a converted safety, so a little bit better in coverage, too, than the Kobe Dean right now. But the thing with Lloyd is that he's just so gifted as an edge rusher, too. I think that's something that's really underrated about his game overall. But both of those guys make plays behind the line of scrimmage, which is going to help him on the next level. I always like fitting or comparing classes at certain positions. And to me, this one kind of reminds me of where there's a like top two group where the Devin Bush, Devin White class, where it's like I see two guys probably going high. Where would you stack these two compared to those two in terms of like ordering them? I like those guys a little bit better. Okay. Um, I, I think Dean is very physical, but Devin White was just a different type yeah. of physical. And the size was a little bit better, too. And their weight might come in at the same, but Devin White is a little bit thicker yeah. than both of these guys, too. So I think Devin White was a little bit better of a superior prospect than these players. Okay. So much with these off-ball linebackers, too, and even beyond just Dean and Lloyd, is like the type of defense you run, what you ask your linebackers to do. And I think that's, that's the same story with every position, something I've been talking a lot about in Indianapolis and even in previous episodes. It's like it's not as simple if you're a Raiders fan, right, and you need a 
linebacker that you just take the next best one who's available. It's what you're asking them to do within that defense. They obviously brought over Patrick Graham, so you're changing things up, right? And I think it's not as simple as like, if you don't get Dean, get Lloyd, and if you don't get Lloyd, get Dean, or whatever it may be. So I do think that factoring in what can they do and what yeah. are you going to ask them to do in the NFL is so much more important than saying like, we need linebacker, let's go get one. Yeah. Getting to the depth of this class on day two, some people really like Chad Muma. Deontay Lee, an analyst here at PFF, thinks he could be the top linebacker in this class coming out of Wyoming. Darian Beavers is a guy with really good size for the position. Who are some of those day two types that you do think can come in and be starters in the NFL? Yeah, well, one I think is going to go much higher than a lot of people are saying right now is Damone Clark from mm-hmm. LSU. He's one player that just from a physical standpoint that I was blown away by at the Senior Bowl. I mean, you go up and stand beside him. He's every bit of six foot three, nearly 250 pounds. So wow. teams that are in need of linebackers like the Patriots, I think they're going to be all over him just because they like those bigger stature type of linebackers, those big pluggers. Mm-hmm. Like they have Dante Hightower in the middle they want. <laughs> players of that stature really in the middle and then there's plenty of other players too you mentioned beavers and chad moomin there's others too that i like too so i really like the depth of this linebacker class overall the other the other class or the other position group i wanted to talk a lot about is the safety class no one's talking about because kyle hamilton's good right yeah. i was like yeah. okay kyle yeah. hamilton's the top safety in this class probably the only safety who goes in the first round even though you could see some others sneak in depending on how brisker runs Lucina, georgia after kyle hamilton who are the names coming up jalen petrie at baylor right if you consider yeah. him a safety after that after kyle hamilton who are these like day two or maybe back into round one guys that people should be talking more about yeah, so there's two guys I like a lot, and I think they're going to be really good testers. The first one is Jaquan Brisker from Penn State. Everywhere he's been, he has success as far as he can play on the roof. He can come down and be a really good box or run supporter, too. So like his ball skills, too, I think it was the Wisconsin game where he closed out the yes. game with the interception. So his range is really good. And the next one is Daxon Hill from Michigan. I think he's one player of, I think his eval is really tricky just because they played him in the slot predominantly, but I think there's more meat on that bone as far as what he can do. It was just a matter of that was the role that he was asked to satisfy at Michigan. So I'm interested to see what they do with him. There was one game, Michigan State was a little bit rough. They played him a little bit different in that game. So I'm going to be interested to see where he does go. But right now, I think he probably could end up going top 50 just because I think he's probably going to run 4-3. He's probably going to jump 40-plus in the vertical, too. So, And I like the safety class a lot. Lewis Seen from Georgia is another one that I like, too. So overall, I think the safety class is very talented. We we had Brisker on. One more thing on Brisker. We had Brisker on right after that Wisconsin interception. And hearing him, he is such a winner, dude. And I talked to a lot of guys. I talked to Jahan Dotson out of Penn State, some of the other guys, and I'm like, oh, talk about Arnold Lebacchetti, too. Talk about Brisker and playing with him. It's like, he wins. All he wants to do is win. When he goes on the field every single time, he wins. And I think having that presence at safety with the ball skills he has, with the explosives we're going to see this week, I do think more people, again, will be talking about Brisker in a safety class that's been so under-discussed so far. What are you going to say, Mike? Well, let's discuss Kyle Hamilton, because he okay, is yeah, a dude. No, is, so, how good is Kyle Hamilton in sort of the history of your scouting safeties? Is he the best safety prospect you've ever seen? Best player in the class. Yeah. He's, I've been adamant about it on social media. I yeah. think he's the best player in this class. And I think people get so hung up in just the positional value of yeah. how you have to have a defensive end, a quarterback, mm-hmm. or offensive tackle mm-hmm. at the top. If we're just stacking the talent and how they translate to the next level, and if we're talking about all pro or pro bowl types of players, I think Kyle Hamilton is like a Derwin James type of player. And I know Derwin hasn't been able to stay healthy, but just talking about if he was able to stay healthy, yeah. you're taking a Derwin James in the top 10 without oh, yeah. question. Now yeah. we're talking about a player that's an inch or two taller. Not as thick as Derwin, but I think he's more rangy overall in the back end of the defense. We saw the Florida State game. <laughs> we saw the interception that he had on that one. So like Everyone saw that. Yeah. And that was one of the most yeah. clipped moments right. of the season. Right. So I, I think he's the best player in the class. I like Kyle Hamilton a lot. Hamilton, too, when we were talking to Brian Kelly in the season, it's like I've never coached a more versatile player. And people bring up Derwin James when you have the size to do it, right? He he is like six foot three, six foot four, two twenty. And he's yeah. gonna test well and that at the safety position is so rare. Like we, we have we seen a safety like Kyle Hamilton in the last five, ten years. Like Derwin James is the comparison we make, but some people are talking about playing mate corner. I do think there hasn't been this consensus view of a top-end player, a top-end safety in a very long time. Yeah. Uh, how So Kyle Hamilton, best player, would you, t- the Jaguars, what would you do with number one overall pick? Would you draft Kyle Hamilton? Well, I mean, that's that's the tough part about the media, just because yeah. we're not scouting for a team and we're not building uh-huh. our board for a team. Mm-hmm. So obviously you have to figure out a way to protect Trevor Lawrence with that number one overall pick. So that's why I think it's between Iki Aquanu or Evan Neal at the top. But if I'm the Jets at four, I would take Kyle Hamilton without question. And I know that may come with a lot of backlash, but, I mean, Jets fans bring up Calvin Pryor and Jamal Adams, but <laughs> those guys were so different just yeah. because they're, like, they're, they're big linebackers. Like yeah. Jamal, also, yeah. Calvin yeah. Pryor yeah. is not even close to what, right. what Kyle Hamilton – I mean, are we, yeah. are we serious right now? Right, right. So it's, he's so different, and Jamal is more so that – 
hybrid linebacker type of where you just want him moving forward. I think Kyle Hamilton can satisfy so many roles on all three levels of the defense. I do think that's a commonality, though, in team feedback on mock drafts, is that yeah. if they've drafted similar positions in the past and they haven't panned out, they kind of do bucket them or paint them all the same way. One more position group, and then we'll let you go. I know you got another hit here. Defensive tackle. Yeah. So long, you know, Jordan Davis was kind of this consensus DT1. Some people talk about him like a top 10, top 5 type of player at some points in the season. Now, more conversation around this other guy. This other guy that plays for Georgia, yeah. Devontae Wyatt. He's PFS DT1 right now. He's my top guy as well. A guy that just legitimately looked different at the Senior Bowl from an explosiveness standpoint, how athletic he is. The two Georgia boys, you taking them both in the first round, and then how else do you how, how do you stack this defensive tackle class? Yeah, so I'll just start with Devontae Wyatt first, a player that's extremely explosive. I think he's going to open up even more eyes during the testing portion. I think yeah. he's going to have some freaky type of numbers. He's a bit of an older prospect, will be a 24-year-old rookie. So he, he won't be on some teams' boards just because they have age thresholds, but if you're looking for a true penetrating up the field three technique, I mean, he's by far the best one in this class to me. But Jordan Davis, he's one of the more polarizing prospects in a sense, and I think so many people are getting caught up in the two-down value thing yeah. with him. They're kind of taking away that they had Jalen Carter, a player that we've been talking about a lot this time yeah. next year, and then yeah. also Devontae Wyatt on the interior. So if I'm a coach, I'm going to play my two best pass rushers. I'm yeah. not going to leave him on the field in a sense. So I think he's kind of being a little bit underrated in a sense. I mean, I would be fine with taking Jordan Davis in the first round if you're a team that needs uh, that big run stuffer in the middle. So with those two guys, I think they can be really special. But this defensive tackle class got really good in a hurry. It yeah. was labeled as a weakness about a couple months ago. But Travis Jones goes and shows out at the Senior Bowl. Perry and Winfrey goes yeah. out and plays well at the Senior Bowl, too. So I think the meat of this class really is on day two. I think mm -hmm. we're going to see those guys fly off the board. But defensive tackle, too, I'll close with this comment. I do think that Jordan Davis, this is, again, where you get the questions answered, right? Why, why is he not playing on the field? You talk to Georgia coaches. You talk to Davis. And if you feel like you have those concerns, I think that, again, is what's going to come out here in Indy. Jordan, this has been fantastic. Really appreciate the time. We'll go ahead and plug what you're working on in ESPN. Yeah, so we have a bunch of mock drives, a bunch of recaps coming out, of course. Me and Matt Miller are going to be recapping everything from each day, so be on the lookout for that. You can find me on Twitter at Jordan underscore Reed. That's R-E-I-D. And then you can find all of our work, me, Matt, Tide, and Mel on ESPN.com. Thanks, man. Yep. That's going to do it for this episode of Tailgate. Make sure you rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. Also, check us out on YouTube if you want to watch along. We are going to try tonight. Tonight, we're getting clips of the Matt LaFleur. You're going to go round two with Matt LaFleur. we got goals. <laughs> I'm not buying a single Hot Pocket. Smart. We were talking to Matt LaFleur again. We're going to redeem ourselves. Yep. And we are getting in bed before five. Nope. Come that one on. I don't have to commit. That one I'm not committing to. All right. There you have it. Austin Gale, Mike Renner, Tailgate.